Welcome to the Healthcare IT Today interview series. We feel lucky to be able to talk to so many smart, passionate, and knowledgeable people in healthcare. Now, we're taking our favorite interviews and sharing them with you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy perspectives on the world of health IT. Hello, everyone. This is Colin Hung at Healthcare IT Today, and I'm sitting down with Dr. Michael Delweed, Global Chief Medical Officer and Vice President of Healthcare and Life Sciences at DSC Technologies. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Now, where are you coming to us from today? Uh, I do sit on my cozy home in Switzerland. Well, I'm confined uh, since five weeks. I'm actually, it was a week before hymns, you're suddenly finding myself being present in my home, to my home, and sitting here ever since. I think we, we've all been in the same boat. Hymns was the sort of conference that I was supposed to go to, and since then, We've all been homebound, but uh, Switzerland Actually, sounds like are, Yeah, we are the you know the most impacted part of Switzerland. You know, I'm just looking over the border over there, out the window. There's Italy, um, so therefore it is it is the part which has been affected the most. Wow. Well, thank you so much for taking time today to come and uh, talk to us and our viewers. Really do appreciate it. Um, one of the things that you are a proponent of is patient-driven care and engaging patients so that they are more active participants in their care. But what does patient activation and patient engagement look like in the middle of a pandemic? It is exactly what we do and what we had to do far faster than we thought we could be doing it or should be doing it. So um, for us, the entire journey started like mid-January, where in a region in China, actually Guyong, not Wuhan, but Guyong, the regional government started to reach out to us. They are clients of ours uh, with our healthcare software products. However, we only, quote-unquote, delivered classic system of records, electronic medical records, hospital information systems, and suddenly they, they told us, hey, guys, you need to, to help us. You need to make sure that you know our folks, our patients, our patients will not come here. They can't. Uh, they would overwhelm our capabilities, and you have to help us to to get not only hold of them, but to keep them informed and, wherever possible, start diagnosing and or treating them, or at least keeping them engaged in what they should be doing. And that is where suddenly the entire patient engagement story, which we were launching for 2020 anyhow, started to become faster and faster and faster and faster. And since the COVID journey took on, uh, we followed it. Australia, New Zealand, England, uh, Netherlands, Sweden, uh, Switzerland, you know, suddenly Spain, we are market leader in Spain. Every single one started to, 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 to do exactly the same, reaching out to the public, reaching out to potential patients, telling them what to do, what not to do, being a source to 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 just i mean everybody as a patient was frantically trying to call ed services or calling gps or whatever and all these services got overwhelmed totally overwhelmed no one was able to cope anymore and we had to create you know patient centric virtual electronic digital means and that is what we mean by patient centricity and to be honest we never expected it to be that influential in that way as we have experienced it right now. 
So what you're talking about isn't just strictly telehealth, which we've heard a lot about it. We're talking about patient communications, just making sure that they continue to keep up with whatever treatments and regimens that they were on. Sounds like it's a, a multi-pronged approach to keeping these patients engaged. It is a multi-pronged approach and it has many different, many different avenues. I mean, it starts with maybe something like a, um, a bot where you know the classic whatever 20 different questions are being addressed without engaging anyone then it goes to okay uh, you might be affected but we don't know exactly how hence let's start communicating where i can see you mm, talking to you um, really asking the right questions and maybe being able to utilize this one to get you know your vital signs addressed through that communication and therefore, me acting as a physician or a nurse or a practitioner, whatever it is, um, examining you without touching you, but at the same time utilizing technology, you know, being transmitted through the means of, you know, the tele capabilities, far more than just classic telehealth. And then last but not least, um, since we as well got involved in, okay, if you are afraid how to get tested, how to organize the testing capabilities up to a point where we've organized ways how patients could receive their test kits at home, connected through these means, but as well as at the same time being part of the overarching process to make sure that nothing got lost between me saying as a patient, hey, uh, do I need a test? Yes, if yes, send me the kit. I'm doing it under your supervision, the right ways of the swapping, and then I put it into in into the kit and send it back. But it is being labeled. It has a barcode. I print out the barcode at home. I label the 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 while the right way, and then the entire process being back into into the healthcare environment, into the hospital or the laboratory where the testing took care or took place. And then, last but not least you as a doctor reaching out to me again saying you know what everything is fine or hey you know what you have to get into quarantine for 14 days and we will be following up with you every single day uh, again through this one yeah this is far more than just telehealth no i, I love it and what you're what you just described there is sort of a a connected health utopia you know everything from the cell phone to uh you know education material through uh virtual visits all of that working seamlessly together uh yeah. that is uh that is amazing that you're working with governments to provide that and and we were not ready we um i wouldn't say we we invented it as we as as we went ahead but i said i would say that you know we had different elements which we had to stitch together to deliver in a far faster fashion as we would have thought before. That's what, yeah, that's what happened. Amazing, I love that story. One of the questions that I, I have to ask is, in this sort of pandemic situation, the focus, rightfully so, is around preserving life. And that's where most of the organizations are putting their focus, the prevention of spread and then the preservation of life. Uh, in that mix, of course, patient experience, patient satisfaction, uh, patient-centeredness can sort of be deprioritized, let's say. But you've seen uh, some organizations that haven't done that, that have been able to keep that flame of patient experience burning, even though we're in this pandemic. What, what can you share with us there? The, I mean, mm, 
two answers. Number one, I was totally amazed by the sheer fact of patients' willingness to participate. Mm. I want to give you a specific example. Just 10 days ago, literally 10 days ago, the, the German governmental agency for um, the epidemic, if you will, the Robert Koch Institute, released an app which is doing nothing else but what they are calling data donation for corona research. 10 days ago, the uptake of that non-mandatory voluntary app was 300,000 in one week. So, so I guess whatever has been the worry in terms of, you know, hey, we have to convince the public to take on the digital apps and so, I can't, I can't see the worry anymore. I can't. So, uh, and I'm not sure whether, you know, we will, I mean, for me, this one here is kind of the kindling moment, the, the, yeah, really the kindling moment for, for patient engagement capabilities. And I guess every single discussion we've had before, is it the right uh, UX and uh, is it uh, whatever kind of, you know, security here and data protection there? I guess everybody has seen it is not that important, but saving lives, right? So, yeah, given given the right motivation, it, sound, it sounds yeah. like the objections we put up beforehand are no longer yeah. big deals. Um, yeah. Sure, you have to have a good UX and you should have, you know, proper security, but if the purpose of the application is um, noble and helps, uh, you, you can. There is evidence that people will go ahead and adopt it, right? So that isn't yeah. a barrier, as much of a barrier yeah. as we thought it was. Yeah. Uh, which actually kind of leads me to uh, to the next question, which is around, you know, you just mentioned the fact that we now know that adoption of applications is not as hard or as complex as maybe we were worried about before the pandemic. Are there any other things around pop health or uh, public health that you see are going to be permanent changes as we pass through uh, this COVID-19 crisis? I can tell you for a fact that, again, uh, we have many clients um, or many clients of ours are, um, you know, clients who are you know, running what I'm calling classic system of records. So electronic medical records, um, fast food information systems, and there's no single one that didn't start to ask into, didn't start to ask how to, um, how to implement additional layers on top. So be it for telehealth, be it for tele-ICU, be it for patient engagement, be it for uh, pop health, be it for uh, for analytic insights and making sure that, you know, the the next phase, which is, I mean, the next phase is interesting because, you know, everybody talks about COVID right now, but in many countries and uh, here in Europe particularly, um, uh, elective treatments and elective procedures have been forbidden, forbidden, not allowed. So hence, there's a surge, which uh, a tide which we are pushing ahead of us. And at one point in time, maybe in two weeks and four weeks, I don't know when, it's starting to hit as soon as we open the, the floodgate. We have no way, no idea yet how to cope with that influx. And so all customers coming now and discussing, hmm, we have to add something on top of it. To your question, I guess the ways of hesitations are over. 
the, the the days of hesitations are over, and we are in a in a in a situation now where everybody's thinking through what to add on top of the classic healthcare IT stuff we have seen so far. You actually uh, penned an article back in January, which seems like a lifetime ago now, uh, without, that looked at sort of the 2020 technology trends uh, and the future of work. And, and in that article, you talked about the shift in design thinking, using teams as uh, high performers, uh, a new way of business leaders. But one that stood out for me, which is particularly relevant now, is increasing the value, the increasing value of data. I think that's what you called it. Um, can you expand on that sort of thought uh, of why you you put that and why you thought that 2020 was really going to be the year where data was going to be extremely extremely valuable to us? I mean, the the classic discussion, you know, data is the new oil and healthcare is kind of you know a gazillion years old. However, it was more and more and more than more just talks and uh, PowerPoints and uh, flashy presentations. And uh, I guess we have seen enough um, proof and evidence that um, platform players um, and uh, many of the folks who are into AI, deep learning, apps creation are getting through, getting real. If um, you know this seems we would have seen yet another surge of AI folks. If you would have gone to gone to ours and A last year um, or at the radiology show, you would have mm -hmm. seen I guess 400 plus different offerings when it comes to AI. And I guess what I've seen so far is that you know it it, it had created a wave, a surge, a tide for 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 potential data utilization and I felt like as if in 2020 it is time to look into the reality and the reality is that it, it, it started to hit and with that you know I wanted to make sure that we are asking the right questions and those questions are are we ready not in terms of technology but in terms of you know the meaningful way to deal with data uh, the meaningful way to deal with you know uh, the insights being generated due to data. Um, I want to give you a few examples. Um, if we are of the opinion that, for example, for a given radiologist, the future of his or her work will be influenced influenced by AI-type, DL-type kind of you know apps, my question is, how did we enable that radiologist to deal with it? Hmm. How did we treat him or her to make sure that the value that gets out of it is being validated enough. What gives him or her the criteria to make sure that the clinical decision-making based upon those AI outcomes is valid, is clinically valid. That's a, an educational process where we physicians didn't go through. That's question number one. Question number two, you know, how to make sure that the data which we, which we are utilizing for creating those insights is hardened enough and good enough and valid for the purpose. We have, I mean, I wanna, the example I'm utilizing is the following. So let's assume that the quality degree for delivering the right healthcare is the board certification a physician has, okay? so. 
What is the board certification for physician? My quality gate. My question is, what is the board certification for an AI algorithm? We don't have one. And therefore, now that we are in a phase where the data utilization becomes real, we have to ask those questions. You know, certification, qualification, validation, uh, useful, useful, um, useful application. And last but not least, we start to we have to we have to look into the ethical questions of data utilization as well. Therefore, for me, 2020 data is important. Um, again, we see a different impact due to COVID-19 right now, but um, it doesn't change it doesn't change the pattern. What you're describing there is something that uh, is near and dear to my heart as an engineer. Uh, I remember days of yore where those CAD CAM systems came out that would make recommendations based on, you know, if you drew this kind of a building or this kind of gear system, it would make recommendations on, oh, you should be using this materials or use these this gear ratios. And at the beginning, people were like, well, who's who's making these recommendations? Who built that algorithm? What engineering went behind that technology to make this recommendation mm -hmm. in the first place? And you couldn't sell anything, uh, anything like that, without proving that the engineering, the engineers that stood behind that technology were certified and had passed all the tests, and had, you know, they actually, you had to prove your algorithm. We we don't yeah. have that quite yet in the healthcare space, but I hope that people are asking those questions, as you just put, so that we understand. Oh, like yeah, the people behind this algorithm are clinicians; they are certified, and and this is how they created this technology versus it just being cooked up in the lab. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so just on that note, I mean, do you see AI playing a role, uh, an increasing role right now in the COVID-19 response? Because honestly, we haven't really heard a lot about AI uh, right now in the on the news. Um, if you would know, uh, actually, if you would follow, if you would have followed the um, one step back, Michael. Yeah. Um, as we started to look into the clinical impact COVID-19, that means um, SARS-CoV-2 had to create COVID-19, we started to realize that hmm, it is a disease where you as a human body or a human being can cope for quite a long time and then the impact is pretty hard mm. and pretty sudden and pretty steep in terms of you know uh, your deterioration okay and much has been put into the effort to um to examine the impact that the lung have taken okay so and therefore um, you know, the ability to look into certain specific COVID-19 patterns that you could have seen and detected in CT scans, for example, and even a classic chest x-rays, where a field where we have seen at least, to my knowledge, half a dozen AI algorithms speeding up the process, process to detect. So to your question, no. We haven't been talking about that, you know, at length, but uh, it happened. It, it, it literally happened. What I've seen as well is um, um, 
the early onsets of uh, the deterioration pattern and the predict the prediction of those deterioration um, has been has been oh, that has been something where AI prediction capabilities has been utilized as well. Sounds like it's very behind the scenes, which is well, the way technology should be working, right? It should be seamlessly integrated into what we do. Uh, this has been really fantastic, but uh, and I, I'm, I don't want to cut us off, but I, we're running out of time here. So, uh, Dr. Oh, Dalvi, what, what's one thing you would let, want our viewers to take away from our conversation today? Um, as a patient, take over responsibility and um, the delivery of healthcare will more and more through um, virtual and distant and uh, patient-centric matters. And uh, this becomes the normal way how treatment and diagnostic processes are going to happen. I love it. I love it. And if people want to find out more about DXC technology, where can they go? Uh, just our website. Awesome. Mm -hmm. well, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for coming to us all the way from Switzerland. Really appreciate your knowledge that you shared with us. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Stay safe and healthy.